You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Sixers beat the Miami Heat. They close them out here in front of 21,000 fans. The offseason is here, but the broadcast is always on. To be with a wide open three, measures, shoots, and drains it. From the combine to the draft, to summer league and free agency, stay tuned from now until training camp. Simmons on a drive, breaks free, and jams the ball. Ben Simmons crashes in with a jam. Here's today's episode. All right. Great to get things back up and running again on the podcast. After taking a little bit of a hiatus, hopefully you were willing to indulge us once the 76ers' memorable, fun, really enjoyable ride in 2017-18 came to an end a couple weeks back after their second-round playoff exit in the Eastern Conference semifinal series against the Boston Celtics. And all of a sudden, just like that, Draft season. Ah, yes, our old friend, draft season, is upon us once again. So to get us caught up to speed on everything draft-related from the lottery, which took place last week in Chicago, the Combine, also held in the Windy City a few days after that, and to look ahead to what might happen in this year's June 21st draft, we're going to bring on Jeremy Wu of SI's The Crossover. He is the curator of Many Mocks for SI.com. His latest one came out on Monday already (laughs) on version 7.1. So we'll talk about that, where the Sixers stand, what they might do, and get his impressions of the Combine, who helped themselves, who hurt themselves, and all such things draft-related in between. And that chat is coming up in just a matter of moments. But yes, we do want to remind you to please subscribe to our podcast feed If you are not a subscriber already, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, type in Sixers Podcast Network. You can also head to soundcloud.com backslash Sixers. That'll take you to where you need to go and get you caught up on all episodes past and make sure you won't miss anything in the present. Quickly, to reset, 76ers at the draft. By this time, the last four years at least, um, no doubt you could probably go up to any self-respecting 76ers fan on the street and say, hey, give me the rundown. What's the draft order? And she or he could then recite, you would expect, at the drop of a hat, where the Sixers were slotted in the draft. This year, a little bit different dynamic and lay of the land because, understandably, Sixers Nation had its full focus and attention devoted to the run into the playoffs up until uh, just uh, two weeks ago. So if you are not on top of uh, all things draft, (laughs) 
<laughs> Admittedly, you are not alone. So this conversation with Jeremy Wu should help us set the context of what lies ahead. But real quick before we bring on Jeremy, the picks that the 76ers hold going into the draft, number 10 overall via the Lakers, number 26 in the first round as well. That is the Sixers' own pick. And then right now the Sixers have four picks in the second round, Number 38 from Brooklyn, number 39 from the Knicks, 56 is their own, and then number 60 from the Houston Rockets. So as we stand and talk here right now, six total picks for the 76ers in the 2018 NBA Draft, which is coming up on June 21st. It is great to connect with Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated and the crossover and the crossover's front office. He does great work there, including mounds upon mounds right now, certainly at the forefront of mock drafts. Jeremy, what's going on, man? Hey, man, I'm, I'm good. Just, uh, you know, I was in Chicago for the combine last week and uh, back in New York now. So it's just been a little bit of uh all over the place with the draft and everything. Yeah, I cannot imagine how intense it gets um, at this time of year for you and uh, those of your fellow elk who put together all these different mock drafts, trying to run down and track down so much information. And I definitely want to talk about the Combine, want to talk about a few of your mocks. But given how closely you, A, not only watch the league, but also follow what's happening at the college level going into drafts, I um, wanted to start things off by just getting your general impressions of what the 76ers did this season, kind of led by two guys that were at the top of draft boards going back over the last three years, and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Dario Scharch taking on a nice role and wanted to see what you thought of uh, what the Sixers did and where you think they may stand looking into the future. You, you know, it's always awesome to see, uh, you know, teams, you know, when you're in the lottery for that long and, you know, you're, you're making these first round picks and there's hype and you still have to wait and wait. It's always nice sort of seeing that come to fruition. Uh, so I think it was a lot of, obviously a lot of fun uh, to watch uh, sort of how they fit together. Right. I mean, that's always the big question is, you know, how are these parts going to fit? Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Joel being healthy obviously is a great, uh, great thing for the whole league, uh, you know, to have him, you know, around, uh, and sort of see what he can do. And, you know, I still think they're figuring out what they can be. Uh, so I think it's pretty exciting and, you know, I don't think they should feel bad about, you know, the playoff exit. I think it should be viewed as sort of a, a great learning experience, uh, especially, you know, for, for a guy like Ben Simmons, uh, you know, who has to have the ball in his hands and make these decisions in big games, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different level of, uh, intensity something the Sixers talked about throughout this year when they were whether it was Brett Brown or Brian Colangelo looking back at Simmons season was the idea of taking a four-man in college and converting him into a full-time point guard and how Simmons transitioned to that can you remember going into whether it was 2016 that year's draft or when he was really on the prospect scene what was there a lot of talk about him taking on that type of role a full-time point man at that stage or was it more about like hey this is a guy at his size who has really great vision and passing gifts i think people knew that you know his best role was going to be with the ball in his hands um i think you know the question or maybe not the question but i think the wrinkle that i saw was just you know knowing that you know you're going to have you know, a guy that big who's going to be sort of your decision maker. It was, it's, uh, you know, then what type of players do you put around that person? Uh, it's sort of, you know, defensively cover for, uh, you know, having your point guard be that big, right? You need your other guys to be able to slide over a spot. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I think that they're, the way that they've handled that has been really good, uh, sort of with guys like Covington who can sort of, you know, switch and, you know, having guys like that 
uh, to compliment him. Uh, so, you know, ultimately, I think it's sort of moved in the direction people thought, but maybe they didn't. I think the thing was that what happened this fast. So I think he's sort of exceeded the timetable. I'm not sure if this is the case for someone like yourself who, who follows the draft and is so deep into it. But when you have someone like a Dario Sarch, who he, he obviously was um, had a very good reputation going into the draft in 2014, but he spends two years overseas before um, ultimately joining the Sixers. Do you watch and pay an extra amount of attention to someone like that, trying to see where thinking was at that point in time compared to how those two years in the pro ranks in Europe affects things and then how he jumps into the NBA scene? Yeah, I think it's definitely, uh, I think it's a boost, uh, you know, if you're playing at a high enough level over there, you know, uh, to, it's, to have that experience under your belt, you know, you come here, you're not overwhelmed, you know what it's like being a pro. Uh, so I think there is, you know, an advantage to, you know, when there's a guy who's that good, obviously, you know, having extra time to stash him there, it's, you know, sometimes you bring him to the NBA too fast, you know, it could be a confidence issue with some of these kids uh, coming from overseas. Um, so, you know, I think the slow playing it, you know, I think from from the outset it was clear he was going to at least need a year or two before he came over, and uh, I think it's a valuable experience. All right, so as far as the Combine is concerned, what moves the needle at the annual Combine these days for a prospect? You know, the Combine's tricky because, you know, when you really are looking at it in a vacuum, you know, you would think, hey, you know, maybe judging guys too hard for – you know, playing five on five, uh, you know, against guys you've never played with before in front of all these execs in sort of a higher, you know, microscope situation. I mean, you maybe you shouldn't put too much stock into that, but I think that the truth is that there's always, it always matters uh, how you play in the, uh, in the five on five. I mean, uh, you know, anytime you have all 30 teams there, you know, not only the teams, but, you know, top decision makers, you know, a lot of times, you know, GMs and, guys who are sort of the upper management wind up staying with the team on the road during the season. So, you know, it's an important chance to leave an impression. And I think ultimately it's most important to reinforce what teams like about you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, if you're scouting the players, you kind of know who they are, but you know, when you see a guy like, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, Philly, Philly based guy, you know, he played really well at the combine and, you know, for him, it was like, I'm just going to come out two, for two days and sort of reinforce what I do well. Um, and I think he's he's one of the guys who definitely succeeded. One of the things for me that I get a kick out of about the Combine, and you can also say the same about something like Summer League, is that it does bring everyone who's pretty much a power broker in the league in the same place at the same time, and there's these interactions that are taking place in the gym, outside, in corridors, in hallways. Was there anything that, as a hardcore hoops junkie, kind of stood out to you, just, you know, being a fly on the wall stuff you saw, anything like that? Uh, you know, I think the combine is funny. You know, yeah, like you said, I mean, lots of conversations happening, and it's impossible to keep track of everything, right? Uh, I, I don't think I saw any, like, anything particularly, <laughs> you know, notable uh, taking place or, you know, but uh right but uh you know a lot of a lot of important things do happen particularly behind closed doors you know you have the players you know interviewing with teams you know teams can put teams can put in requests you know for the interview that's not always up to them you know the league allocates those but um you know a lot of a lot of information is exchanged uh you know it's, it's sort of like a big game of telephone sometimes with with you know what goes around the combine 
even though it might seem like on the surface kind of like a, a car wash type setup with some of these prospects going in and out and meeting with different teams, it does always sound like th- that those can influence things. It's got to be a real opportunity to get to know some of these guys a bit. Yeah, you know, in, in a sense, it's like a job interview. Uh, you know, you you watch the games and you see, you know how a kid plays, but, you know, what's he like in person? I mean, you know, teams are doing these, you know, background checks on players over the course of the year. But to actually have a kid, you know, sit down, talk to him, sort of get a feel for his personality, I think that's valuable too, particularly for teams who sort of, you know, know what types of players they want to slot into, for better or worse, you know, a culture, for lack of a word, uh, you know, what types of players fit, you know, the ethos of what they need, not only positional fit, but there are other, other factors to fit. You said there were things that Dante DiVincenzo out of Villanova did really well, obviously had the breakouts, Hero-type performance in the national championship game, game one at the Combine, looking at his numbers, 8, 6, and 2, plus 7. And then he even uh, went on to play in his second game on Friday, and in that one, uh, a plus 12 with 9.7 boards, 3 assists, 4 steals. Just what uh, what passed the eye test with him, or continued to pass the eye test, I guess I should say? For, for Dante, it's about reinforcing that he's not the one-game wonder and I, for anyone who really watched Villanova closely this year, you know that's not the case. He was consistently a really valuable player for them with his ability to play on and off the ball, uh, sort of spell, runs in at times, provide energy on the wing. And he tested really well athletically, too. Uh, he, I think he had the top or tied for the top vertical leap at the combine, which is pretty impressive. I think people expected him to test pretty well. So uh, his energy had a lot of forced a lot of turnovers. He knows how to play with other people, which I think is really valuable too. You can immediately tell that's one thing in, in this setting where, you know, kids are sort of thrust into unfamiliar situations, seeing which guys pick it up quick are making good decisions, aren't hesitating to either pass dribble, shoot, you know, that, that can only help you uh, in terms of what teams are looking for. What about Amari Spellman? Spellman definitely has some fans around the league. Uh, I think he's a guy who grew, who grew on me getting to watch him. Uh, in this setting too he uh you know needs to continue working on his body uh he's definitely already lost you know i don't know if anyone's on playing in high school but you know he's definitely lost weight since then you know he's working on it he, he kind of reminds some people of morris diao sort of later in his career with what he can do uh he rebounded really well he makes good decisions it's evident that he knows what he's doing i don't think he's a guy who cares about having crazy stats i think he just cares more about winning uh i think that's going to help him i don't know you know, he's in a position where he, you know, might be able to stay in, might be able to go back. I think he is probably an early second rounder this year, Spellman, if he, if he were to come out. Uh, but, you know, he's sort of facing an interesting decision. You know, DiVincenzo, I think, is probably closer to the first, will probably be in the first now. And it sounds like he may come out. But uh, Spellman's sort of in an interesting position. On the help hurt scale, who else, what were some other names that uh, at least uh, registered with you? Kevin Herter from Maryland is a guy people came away really impressed with. Uh, he was probably the top, like pure in terms of shooting. You know, one of the best shooters at the combine, and he, you know, he was play, playing with a, a torn ligament, one of his fingers in his shooting hand, which is, you know, when you think about that, that's pretty impressive to be able to shoot the ball the way he does. He also showed that he can, you know, be a ball mover. He made some really nifty passes uh, and, and sort of handle it a little bit. So. I think he's a guy who may have sort of put himself in that first-round group. I don't know if he'll go back to Maryland or not, but he, he was someone who was impressive. Uh, Melvin Frazier from Tulane, 
is another guy who his athletic ability really popped. Really long wingspan. I think he measured like seven one or seven two wingspan, which is you know for a guy who's like six five, it's pretty good. So uh, defensively, people see him as a guy who is worth you know trying to develop. He can hit an open three. I think he was another one of the big winners. Both he and Kevin Herter were able to. You know, they played well on the first day and chose not to play on day two, which is usually indicative uh, of uh, some level of uh, of comfort with your your draft range. Michael Porter, I think, understandably, his comments grabbed some media attention. There were some articles and stuff put out about that, about him believing he's the best player still in the draft. What's the scuttlebutt on him right now? I, yeah, I would hope he feels that way, right? I think you want a kid... To, to say that, I think that's probably the right thing to say. Um, but, uh, you know, Porter, it's interesting. And I don't know what the exact, you know, shape of his back or, you know, what's up with the medical situation. But I do think it's something that will be carefully controlled in terms of which teams receive what information. Uh, that's a trend that you've seen in, in drafts past. Uh, you know, if an agent has a guy who does have, you know, already you already know they have that injury. Uh, risk or, or red flag or whatever potential, uh, you know, being able to control which teams get that information can sort of help you find a cushy landing spot. So I, I still think Porter will probably be a top 10 pick. I don't think he'll be a top five pick uh, right now, but a lot can change. So, and again, it's really going to depend on how comfortable a team feels, you know, taking a kid who's what 19 or 20 who already has a bad back. Uh, you know, he looked a little bit stiff. I think he may have been rushed back at the end of the season at Missouri, uh, which, you know, I, at the time I wasn't sure that was a great decision. But, you know, ultimately I, I think he is going to still be a lottery pick. Um, but there's still a lot that has to sort of play out in that situation. Before I get to some Sixers-specific questions, going to run through what is probably a list of cliched, obvious-type draft-related questions that you get Way too often, I'm sure, from friends, family, anyone else that comes across you, that sort of thing. Um, in, in general, how would you um, sum up the quality of this year's draft, top to bottom, when you're looking at it? I think it's pretty good. Uh, the top four or five guys, I think, is a pretty solid group of players that you know. I think anyone would be happy to have. Uh, and then there's a group, you know, sort of that mid lottery group. It's pretty solid. There's some guys who have. Uh, definite potential to become really useful players. Uh, and then I think from there, you know, it's sort of a level of variance. But I think if you're just talking about guys who might be able to become really useful role players, even as a floor, like I think there's probably, I think it probably stretches down between like 30 and 35, uh, depending on who you talk to. But the, there's definitely a good a good array of players who I think will have the skills to, you know, fill useful roles in the NBA and a lot of them are staying in the draft or have chosen to stay in the draft. So I think that tells you something. I think there's a, there's a, there's a degree of depth where to where an early second round pick is going to have some value. From an outsider's perspective, it would seem like a good deal of your day would have to be dominated by things related to Luka Doncic. Is that true? How much of that is actually <laughs> the case? Oh, well, yeah, I watched him play on Sunday. Uh, you know, he, uh, I, uh, with overseas guys, you know, you can watch the film, you know, but I'm not over there, so I don't get to see him play in person. But, uh, you know, Luca, his, uh, his situation has been sort of a, a talking point in the recent, you know, last few days after, you know, the Final Four in the EuroLeague and in Belgrade. And I think, you know, part of it is, you know, you wouldn't ask an American college player in January, you know, are you going to enter the draft, right? And so I think Luca's 
you know, on some level is saying the right thing. You know, this uh, in Spain, they're still fishing at the playoffs. So, you know, he's probably right to not be like, hey, I'm leaving, right? But uh, he, I think he's pretty safely going to be a top four pick. Uh, I don't know what will happen there. I mean, Sacramento, you can see taking him at two. Uh, you know, Vlade Divac has his, you know, history of, you know, liking the European guys. I think it'll be hard to pass on like, a kid who's that good. Uh, but I could see a few different scenarios playing out. I do think he winds up in this year's draft. Obviously, teams around the league aren't going to let a guy like that come on the radar and not pay close attention to what he's doing over the course of not just this season but seasons past. But do you have any sense or, or background on just how strong of a presence there was from NBA personnel types over in Europe this year, how consistent and constant it was um, the last couple months? Uh, yeah, you know, it was definitely consistent. There's a lot of teams, I'm, I'm sure, that at least – particularly the teams that are in the mix to see him, you know, are going to see him, but really dating back, you know, he's been on the radar for a couple of years. Uh, and, you know, these international scouting events, these international, you know, U18, U19 FIBA events in Europe are always heavily scouted as well. So, uh, and, you know, certainly winning at the Eurobasket uh, last, last year with Slovenia, you know, was a big opportunity for him as well. So, you know, there's no shortage of, of scouting and information and, you know, intel on him. Uh, you know, some people, people are always quick to be like, oh, he's a, you know, international mystery man. But, you know, it's really not the case with the way that information travels now. Uh, you know, I think we can treat him, you know, maybe we don't know as much, but you can trust that the team is drafting him, you know, know just as much as any other player. At least towards the top of the draft, it seems like big men is the theme. How would you break down that group? Yeah, I think DeAndre Ayton has to be considered the top guy. Uh, you know, he was, for me, the top prospect all season. And I think just with his physical traits and ability to be so dominant just off of that, uh, I think is a lot to work with. Uh, you know, ultimately, you know, you're never drafting a finished product. Uh, you know, he has to work on some things defensively. But I think I tend to give him a little bit of a pass, having, A, not really been coached heavily coming into college and B, you know, Arizona's defensive scheme at times is just kind of a mess. And it was not always one person's fault. It's just they were a little bit detached. Uh, and that's what happens when you're playing a lot of underclassmen sometimes. So, you know, he'll have to work on that. But I think he, to me, is the top guy for sure with just, just his array of offensive skills. You know, he'll be able to shoot it. He can pass it. Uh, I think as long as he keeps working hard, you know, he'll be able to, you know, help anchor an offense. And then, and then you have the three guys who, you know, people see these all different ways. Uh, you know, Jaron Jackson, Jr. from Michigan State, Marvin Bagley from Duke, and Muhammad Bamba from Texas. You know, those are all three. Those are three guys who, you know, teams all, you know, have different opinions on, but I think are probably in that top five or six group. Uh, Wendell Carter from Duke also is someone you shouldn't forget about, who I think is a really good player uh, and is probably in that six, seven, eight. Um, but that's probably how it shakes out. I just feel kind of like based on past practice, my next question should be, so which one of those players would you expect to see the 76ers take? But given with increased regular season success this year, <laughs> that's, uh, they find themselves in a little bit of a different spot. They, of course, had that shot of getting the Lakers pick this year. If uh, L.A. had gotten number one, that did not happen. So the Sixers in the first round are looking at numbers 10 and 26 right now. How do you see the Sixers approaching the draft? Yeah, well, I think, you know, they're lucky. They're kind of in a position to, you know, decide who are the best, who's the best guy. Uh, but they do have to think about, obviously, fit, particularly with, you know, knowing Timmons is going to be your point guard and also having Markel Fultz. I mean, you know, that's those are two big backcourt pieces, right? So I think logically looking at 10, I mean, there are probably going to be some wing, wing players on the board who could make sense for them. Uh, 
being, you know, Mikhail Bridges, Miles Bridges, Kevin Knox. Those are three three wing players who I think will probably at least two of them should be available at ten. Uh, so I think you know those are all options at that spot. Uh, and then at twenty six, you know, there's always in that late first round a really wide range of options because the whole twenty five to forty five or forty group is pretty fluid depending on who you talk to. Um, so that's going to depend on need. And I think there, you know, it kind of depends on who they think is the best guy available. And that could be a lot of different guys. But I think uh, there will there will be an array of guards who I think could be good fits there uh, with what they have. It's still real early, but do you have any um, initial sense or vibes whether or not there might be teams around the 76ers that may be open to the idea of moving up, moving out, that the Sixers could then potentially utilize, whether it's two picks in the first round, they have four currently in the second round, anything like that to shuffle things in that part of the first round board? Uh, it, would, it wouldn't shock me. I don't, I don't know any teams specifically. I mean, there's been rumors this week and talk about the Clippers maybe. Who have, you know, they have 12 and 13. Uh, you know, the Clippers maybe deciding to do something. I feel like 10 and 12 and 13 are a little bit close for that. But, uh, you know, teams always call. Um, it, would, it wouldn't shock me. I think it could, it could be a situation where Philly's like, hey, you know, maybe we don't need 10. Maybe we'll keep, uh, you know, 26 and then look to do something with 10. Um, yeah, I'm sure they'll explore those options. Um, Given that they're sort of in a position where they have young talent and they kind of know who their building blocks are, so it, it wouldn't be uh, out of the question for me. I think that. So in seven point one on your mock draft list, and what? How do they differentiate seven point oh, seven point one? Like what would be eight? How is that determined in the the crossover <laughs> uh, central office? So I just decided, you know, each month would be a new number, and if we do more than one a month, we'll add like a one. So, I like that. <laughs> so we had two this month, so I was just like, all right, seven point one. So that's the simple answer to that. No, I dig it. I, I, mean, I feel like that's a very logical way to uh, to look at it. Um, so you had Miles Bridges from Michigan State, Southpaw, who can finish great uh, with both hands, as he showed throughout the year. Uh, for him in particular, what leaned uh, towards you having him at that number 10 slot for the Sixers? I like the fit there because uh, I think Bridges is sort of a unique player, um, but his strengths do, I think, sort of vibe with the way that Philly is going to want to play. Uh, he's a really good athlete. Uh, he can shoot it a little bit, particularly when he's open. Uh, you know, I think there's some level of debate as to how good of a shooter he'll be. But he's, you know, he's a really good athlete. He'll run the floor, convert easy baskets. Uh, and, you know, I guess the knock on him would be, hey, he doesn't really have that much of a position. But then if you look at, again, how Philly plays, you know, you're going to have Simmons on the ball, you know, have Embiid down low, and then the rest of the lineups are tend to be kind of fluid, right? So having a guy like that who's sort of kind of a three, kind of a four, you know, sometimes looks like he's a two, you know, that's not the worst thing. Uh, in terms of matchups, and I think Bridges, you know, if he can sort of step up defensively, he can give you something. He's a good rebounder, you know, he has to work on his ball handling. All these guys you know, have strengths and weaknesses, but I, I think he'd be an interesting fit uh, just as a, an additional scorer, uh, and hopefully somebody who will be able to give you sort of uh, well-rounded contributions. And this is not me speaking for the 76ers, but an intriguing subplot, too, is that you would presume given the core that's in place and the financial flexibility that the team has going into the summer, that whomever it is the Sixers pick at 10 or 26 or anywhere in the first round or anyone at all in this draft, there's not going to be that same type of context around a guy like Joel Embiid or a Ben Simmons or 
um, a Julio Okafor or Nerlens Noel or Michael Carter-Williams in years past where given where the franchise was at that point in time, there were going to be immediate contributions expected. Who knows? This could be a guy who they end up selecting their top guy, whomever it is, wherever it is, that there might be more of a patience factor, let the guy develop a bit more, and then you see where things are in a season or two, and maybe that's when you really see the payoff rather than right away. Sure, I'd agree with that. Yeah, they. I don't think that they should feel like they need a guy who has to be able to help from day one. Um, so I'm sure they'll consider a variety of players at that spot based on what they do have already. Um, yeah, I mean, the, there there is for the benefit of you know the players and the team. I think probably less pressure, you know, to, on whoever they draft. Couple real quick ones before wrapping this up: Mikael Bridges and Jalen Brunson. The latest on them. Yeah, I'm, I'm fans of both guys. Uh, you know, Mikhail, I think, is just viewed as a very solid player in a lot of facets. Uh, he doesn't probably doesn't have the same amount of like upside, if you want to put it that way, as some of these other wing players. Uh, but he does shoot it really well. Uh, he has that type of really lanky body where you know you hope he'll be able to guard you know a variety of players in the wing. I, I think he really reinforced this season you know, that he can do those things. So. I, don't, I wouldn't expect him to fall out of the lottery. He'll probably be in, you know, anywhere between eight and twelve, I'd guess. And then, you know, Brunson, I think should be a first rounder. You know, he's a kid who I, I've actually known for a little while. You know, I, starting off my career in Chicago covering prep basketball, Jalen was sort of still in high school, so I was at a game in high school where he scored fifty points. Uh, you know, I've seen him play a lot, and I think just for a kid who's that smart uh, and is that, you know, just natural of a point guard, I think that can be undersold. And if you're a smart team and a team that, you know, you want to shore up your guard depth and sort of have a guy you can plug in, whether it's, you know, starting sometimes, ideally as a guy who's going to run your second unit, I think he is a pretty safe choice. Anyone on the top of the radar for Jeremy Wu in the second round where the Sixers have, as we said, a handful of picks right now? Oh, man. I mean, there's a lot of of interesting guys. I mean, I think one player who I think would be an interesting fit in Philly uh, is Javon Carter from West Virginia if he fell to that sort of 37, 38, 39 area. I don't know if he will get there, but you know, he was at the Combine, you know, probably the best defender there, and during the college season considered one of the best, if not the best, defensive guard in the country for a good reason. You know, He really uh, gets after it defensively. He's not afraid of anyone. He'll get into you, make life really, really difficult. And I think pairing a defensive-minded guy like that who can hit an open three, you know, putting him next to Benson's backcourt is not the worst fit in terms of uh, how they complement each other. So I think he'd be an interesting player for them. Awesome insights. Great draft-related perspective from a guy who's all over the crossover right now from Sports Illustrated. It's Jeremy Wu. Read him. Check him out. Jeremy, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. I don't know about you out there, but uh, selfishly, at least for me, <laughs> really a helpful conversation with Jeremy Wu to introduce some of the key storylines surrounding the NBA Combine, the draft, and in particular as things relate to the 76ers looking ahead to June 21st. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to dive a lot deeper into this year's draft class and how things might shake out for the Sixers. So as always, be sure to keep on the lookout for notifications to your feeds. Thank you for listening, and be on the lookout for a new episode of the podcast next week. See you.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 